There are two types of parents out there, those who buy name brands and those who buy knockoff brands. Growing up, I was part of the group that rarely got name brand anything. When I was in fifth grade, everybody wanted Jabot jeans. Jabot jeans, they were $45 jeans back in the 90s. They had a little tag in the front that said Jabot so all of your friends could know what jeans you were repping and that these were the real thing. A lot of kids did not get Jabot's. They got the department store knockoff brand Jabot's that shrunk in the wash or that dyed your t-shirt the color of the jeans that you were wearing after they were washed. Seams coming undone, cheap. They were never as good as the real thing. Cereal. (laughs) How many of you have eaten Lucky Clovers instead of Lucky Charms? Or Fruitios instead of Fruit Loops. You know the cereal that comes in a giant dog bag instead of an actual box? Here's the deal. Knockoff brands, generic brands, they're never as good as the real thing. Is there a possibility that we're buying and selling a generic knockoff faith in churches today? It's similar to name brand faith. The package looks kind of the same, but it's not quite the real thing. It would explain a lot. There there are churches out there, Christians out there doing amazing work. God's kingdom is growing. I'm not being negative here. But there are others who are blatantly apathetic or careless about living out their faith. Did they buy the wrong product? When it comes to the gospel, we must not sell an off-brand faith, one that leads people to apathy and worse, a faith that leads people astray. I want to talk about a knockoff faith today that infected James's church. It's a generic faith that infects our churches today. Everybody turn to James 2. We're continuing our series Through the book of James, if you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the back for you. We encourage you to follow along with us. James has so far in his book called us to be doers of the word. People that don't just hear and receive the word, but part of that receiving is putting that word into practice. He tells us to take care of widows and orphans, to control our tongues as we speak within the body of Christ. He tells us to honor the poor and overlooked in our communities. And now he addresses what it says about our faith if we neglect such things. Look at James 2, verses 14 We'll read 14 through 17 to start. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Verse 15, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself if it does not have works, is dead. Go back up to verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? James assumes the answer is no. Why? 
I thought we're saved by faith and not by works. Well, two things. First, works here are not the Pauline works of the law. Those works he rejected because no one is made righteous in God's sight by human achievement or status. I want to make that clear. James sees these works as born of faith, deeds that come from faith. Yeah, it's Torah obedience, but only as the Torah is fulfilled in Christ's commands to love God and love others. The the works that Paul condemns are not the works that James commends. Second, both Paul and James go beyond faith being just mere static belief, intellectual assent. Paul talks about faith about being created for good works in Ephesians 2. and Galatians 5, he says what counts is faith working through love. He speaks of obedient faith in Romans 1, 10, and 15. For Paul and James, faith is, is living. It's active. And by nature, faith in Christ produces love. Remember, the someone here is claiming to have faith. Their faith is merely a claim to to certain truths without the accompanying works of faith and scripture. James and Paul would say, that's not name brand faith. It's It's a knockoff faith. Today would look like, you know, I prayed the prayer. I accepted Jesus into my heart when I was four. You know, I went to camp a long time ago where I, I, I profess uh, that I believe in these certain doctrines, but these things haven't moved me to love or compassion. But I, but I have faith. I believe these things. True faith, living faith works by its very nature. And here's the problem with generic, knockoff, off-brand faith. It's useless both personally and corporately. Individually, this faith does not save you. It's dead. Look at verse 17. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. You want to know why this passage is important? Because people's eternal futures are on the line. It's also useless Corporately. Look at verses 15 through 7. I'm going to read these again. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of them, or one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. A, a workless faith doesn't help meet needs in the community. The beauty of being in a small church is that you get to personally meet needs. And I get to see people's needs be personally met, not just by the church and going, hey, Central Bible Church, but by others helping one another, caring for one another, bearing that burden. Years ago, when I was uh, planting a church way back, uh, I'd hair, man. Um, But uh, I I didn't. I haven't had it for a long time. Uh, 
but, but we were planning this church and, and this, this couple came and, hey, we don't have a ride to church. Can somebody pick us up? And so I went to pick them up and I went into their house and it was, uh, it was dirty. Um, there, were, there was no furniture. There was about 10 people living there, kids, parents, grandparents. Uh, the only person who had a bed was grandma. Everybody else slept on the floor, little, no food. They were in poverty. Now imagine if I walked back to my church and said, hey, this family needs help. And they said something along the lines of, you know, may God bless them. May God clothe them and feed them because we're not going to be the ones who do it. We'll pray for them, but we're not going to be the ones to lift a finger to help. James would say that's a ridiculous response. He'd say your faith is hollow. It helped no one, and that sort of faith is dead. Luckily, I saw their faith bring forth action, furniture, clothes, food, time, energy, resources, pouring into this family. True faith works. And while works can mean any type of obedience to God, I think the context moves us to a specific application here. He wants us to meet the needs of those in the community of believers. He wants you to meet your needs and you to meet their needs and you to meet their needs. Those are the type of works that James is is calling us to. It's why I love being a part of Central where people commit to share life together to help meet one another's needs. That's why it's important to to be in something like a community group, to be a part of your church and not just attend it, to be known, yes, to receive grace, yes, but also to serve and help others in their time of need. And you can't do that when you're disconnected. You just can't. And I've seen it time and time again where one person in the group goes down And the other four families, pick them up. That's God working in their life. That's gospel faith at work in the community of believers. Now, your idea of faith may be being challenged. There's going to always be objections to James's teaching here. And James anticipated those objections by bringing in an imaginary opponent. Look at verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith and and I have works. James rephrases the point of his opponent from his perspective. So the original objection would have sounded like this. Hey, James, you have your works. That's great. I have faith. And so what the person is trying to do is they're trying to to separate faith and works, which Luther says you can't do any more than you can separate heat or light from a fire. They are two separate but equally valid methods of, of showing genuine Christianity, the objector would say. They're equally satisfactory expressions of our religion. They're they're like love languages. Remember the book, The Five Love Languages? Oh, Christians love that book. We receive and show love in different ways. Physical touch, words of affirmation. I personally am gifts, in case any of you wanted to know. (laughs) Faith and works are just different love languages. In the rest of this passage, 
He seeks to bring those two things back together by attacking this off-brand faith with a number of arguments. He begins with this. Look at verse 18, the rest of it. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. When you play poker, it's impossible to know if someone is bluffing until the player does what? Until they lay their cards on the table. So James is saying, I call you. So it is with faith. Paul is telling them to show their cards, but they can't because they have nothing. Works demonstrate name brand faith because true faith works. James stays on the attack. Look at verse 19. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. James picks a basic doctrine that he knows he can get traction with. And he says, even demons believe and tremble. At least they have some sort of response. Good doctrine is important. It is vital, especially in American Christianity, but it's never the end. My desire for you is not just to know a lot. I desire for you to understand who God is. But, but we need to remember that even demons, that they could enroll in Bible school and pass a basic theology test and for the most part, maybe get a 3.0. We can often get wrapped up in simply getting our doctrine straight. Now, a goal for us should always be right doctrine, orthodoxy. But unlike demons, we must go beyond to live out our faith, deeds of compassion in our, our communities. Name brand faith doesn't just study. Name brand faith, true faith, doesn't just memorize Bible passages and understand systematic theology and correct doctrine. True faith works. It works. James continues his objection, but now with the positive examples of Abraham and Rahab. Look at verse 20. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. You have Rahab, the prostitute, and Abraham, the patriarch. The idea is everyone in between, from, from prostitute to patriarch, these words are for you. And while we could spend an entire sermon on these five or six passages, I want to highlight a few ways in which faith and works should be brought together. Look at verse 22 again. You see that faith was active along with his being Abraham works and his faith was completed by his works. We have faith 
and works working together. And James expects this interaction to play out throughout our entire lives. It's like you have one leg is faith, the other leg is works, and they're propelling me towards a life of faithfulness. In addition, with his whole life in view, his faith was also made complete by his works. The idea here is that his faith was brought to its full realization. It's divinely intended form. It was brought to maturity by works. His faith fully bloomed through works. Last, in 21 and 25, we see that works justified Abraham and Rahab. This is where Luther probably really struggled with the book of James. Because it seems to outrightly contradict what Paul has said in Romans and in Galatians. Here, we must not look at justification as we normally do. We preach justification. The initial justification that Paul talks about where a person is declared righteous by God because of faith. We are not declared righteous because of our works. We don't come with our works in hand and say, Jesus, are you impressed by me now? God, is this enough for you? We are declared righteous through faith in Jesus Christ and his work on our behalf. Justification, though, can also mean shown to be righteous, vindicated as righteous, where God sees our works as proving our faith. So when Abraham, who believed God in Genesis 15, 6, which was the beginning of a working faith, was shown to be righteous, when he offered up Isaac, It helps us make sense of verse 24. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. We have his initial declaration of faith in Genesis, and that is what has saved Abraham. But we know that that was true faith because he was obedient to God. That faith was real. That faith was not an off-brand faith. It wasn't just mere words or or intellectual assent. It was true belief. And that's the point that James is trying to get across. We're shown to be righteous by our works. Augustine, or Augustine, as some of us say, is right when he notes this. Paul said that a man is justified through faith without works of the law, but not without those works of which James speaks. Works justify our claim to faith. True faith works. So in summary, this is is everything James has said about works and faith. He says, true faith saves. It's a faith that meets needs. One cannot demonstrate this faith without works. It's a type of faith that goes beyond the belief of demons, a faith that co-works with works, a faith completed by works, and a faith that is vindicated by works. And this passage should really move us 
to love God and love others with an eye on the body of Christ. It moves us to focus on compassion and mercy and not just good doctrine, yet it should move us to something else. Why do people buy off-brand clothes? Why do people buy generic cereal that comes in a giant trash bag? Because it's cheap. It doesn't cost them anything. It doesn't require much from them. It requires a lot less than the name brand cereal. Why do people buy an off-brand knockoff faith for the very same reason? It's cheap. It doesn't cost us anything. We don't need to... We don't need to invest our time, resources, energy, and emotions. Yes, we preach a gospel of grace, a gospel of, of freedom. But Jesus also preaches a costly faith. In his book, The Cost of Discipleship, Dietrich Bonhoeffer draws a distinction between cheap grace and, and costly grace. When describing cheap grace, he says, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living incarnate. In contrast, he defines costly grace as the kingly rule of Christ for whose sake a man would pluck out the eye which causes him to stumble. Such grace is costly because it, follow, it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. We must preach a gospel that goes beyond proclaiming what we can get from Jesus to the costly life we are called to live in response to what he has given us. Jesus said, count the cost. Jesus said, take up your cross. That means we need to focus on making not just converts, but disciples. Not just believers, but followers of Christ. And if off-brand, a workless faith is, is corporately useless and unable to save the individual, we have to preach that true faith works. And if we don't, we're going to neglect the broken in our communities. This will be a cold, hollow place to be a part of. And worse, we're going to make it very comfortable for people on their way to destruction. True faith, real faith works. Let's pray.